You may be seated. God is good, amen? Amen. Thank you for your praise. Thank you for your worship. If you're watching online right now, you're not in the room, you're missing out. Uh, this is an incredible place to come and experience the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you to come next week and uh, worship with us in person. But this morning we are continuing our series looking at the parables of Jesus, the parables that Jesus told. And remember, parables are just stories with a moral lesson. That is all they are. They're stories with a moral lesson. But they are not stories that are meant to make us feel warm and cozy inside. Jesus did not tell these stories as bedtime stories. These are stories that are meant to make us uncomfortable. You may be remembering week one, I used the analogy of the pitcher trying to brush the batter off the plate, right? In baseball, the pitcher wants to knock the batter back a bit. He will throw a ball high and tight, right? It's called chin music. Parables are chin music. They're supposed to, to knock us back a little bit. They're supposed to get our attention. Maybe even upset us. When was the last time you thought about Jesus wanting to upset you? See, that's not the typical image we have of Jesus, right? After all, he is the Prince of Peace. Why in the world would Jesus want to upset us? But see, here's the thing. Sometimes the only way to get the outcome you want is you have to upset a few things, right? You have to crack some eggs in order to make an omelet. Jesus is not opposed to cracking some eggs. And trust me, the omelet he wants to make is the best omelet. Okay, that doesn't really work there. That broke down. But anyways, it's going to be a really good omelet that he wants to make. Jesus knows that a lot of what he says will upset some people. It's not because he's wrong. It's because he's correct. You see, he's speaking truth into a culture of lies. He's shining light into dark places. And that will always upset the ones living in the culture of lies, lives and the ones living in dark places. When these parables upset us or make us uncomfortable, it's because the light of truth is exposing the darkness in our lives. I mean, that's what it is, folks. I could try to sugarcoat that for you, but that's not my style. When we read or hear these parables and feel uncomfortable, it's because there is darkness living inside of us. And the one that we're going to read today makes a whole lot of people really uncomfortable. And so let me just rip the band-aid off right now. We're going to be talking about money today. I know that is everyone's favorite sermon topic. It is amazing to me. There are a lot of sermon topics that make people uncomfortable, but the topic of money is the one that will lead to more people never coming back to church. People get mad when they find out the preacher's going to be talking about money. Now hear me, I know there are a lot of false prophets out there who love to talk about your money in a way that compels you to make your money the preacher's money. There's a lot of bad theology out there when it comes to money, and we've all heard the stories, right? The televangelists who steal money. I get it. But I do not believe that is the reason we get uncomfortable when the preacher talks about money. I believe it's because of what our money means to us. You see, money is personal. 
That is why the parable we're going to read today makes so many people uncomfortable. And so hear me, if this one makes us uncomfortable, that says less about Jesus and a whole lot more about our hearts. I'm not sorry, folks, because that's just the truth. See, at the gathering church, we don't believe in filters. We aren't going to sugarcoat the gospel of Jesus Christ at the gathering church. I don't have time for that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to upset us and correct us so that we can live in and spread the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so hear me, Jesus is coming in high and tight. And so are you ready? So let's get to it. Are you ready to feast on God's word this morning? Yeah. All right. It's in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 13. Grab your Bible. Grab your phone. I know everyone's got the phone. Grab your phone. Grab your Bible. Go to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 13. It says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. One of the most important lessons I have learned in life is the issue is never the issue. The issue is never the issue. What I mean by that is people will call me up and they tell me they want to come talk to me about X, Y, or Z. And then when I sit down with them, I quickly realize that X, Y, or Z is, not the, is just the presenting issue, right? Their real issue is A, B, or C. But they don't want to deal with that or they don't want to admit it, right? They say their issue is that their child is out all night long doing who knows what. But the real issue is the child doesn't want to be home because their dad is a drunk and is verbally abusive. That's the real issue. Does that make sense? The issue is never the issue. That's what's happening in the passage that we read. Remember, it's important for us to read passages in context. And so if you look at this passage in context, you'll see that Jesus was in the middle of teaching. And this someone, this guy, interrupted him to tell Jesus to do something. Right? Jesus was, was on a roll, and this guy interrupted him to tell him uh, or to give him a, a command. And the command had nothing to do with what Jesus was talking about. It just came out of left field. Teacher, tell my brother to, invite, to divide the inheritance with me. It's like, yeah, all that stuff you're saying is great, Jesus, but I have a real problem. And I find it funny or ironic that this guy spoke up right after Jesus said, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what you should say. And so maybe this guy thought, oh, I've got something to say. But I'm thinking it probably was not the Holy Spirit that was telling him to say it. It was a spirit, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. 
This was a spirit of selfishness, right, or, or greed or, or something like that. It, it most definitely was not the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to understand something. The man's request was not that unusual in that day. Actually, it's not that unusual today either. It was, it's common practice for people to go to their rabbi to mediate difficult family situations. And so he wants Jesus, the rabbi, to step into his family situation and solve the problem. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on within that family. Whatever it is has made this man unhappy. And in, in his mind, the solution is simple. His brother needs to give him his portion of the inheritance. It's kind of like the situation we, we talked about in the prodigal son parable. I want my money, right? And I want it now. Money had, had driven a wedge between this man and this brother. And so he went to Jesus with, with the solution. And he expected Jesus to parrot him and do what he was told. I know that hits home with some of you, right? We say, Jesus, here's exactly what I need you to do. But what we mean is, Jesus, here's exactly what I expect you to do. Those are two very different things. Jesus, here's what I need you to do. Here's what I expect you to do, right? We expect Jesus to ask how high when we tell him to jump. Folks, that's not going to work for you. This man was telling Jesus what to do. Unfortunately, this man was speaking to the all-knowing God of the universe. And so Jesus knew that the issue wasn't the issue. That's why Jesus responded with, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Now, I just have a confession. I cannot help but read that like Jesus put a before the word man. Any psych fans out there uh, with Sean and Gus, like, man, I just that's what I picture. I doubt he did that, but he said, man, who, who made me an arbiter in this? His point is, that's not what I'm about. I'm not about to get involved in surface level issues when the surface level issues go away when you fix the deep issues. See, the issue is never the issue. This man saw his problems going away once he got his hands on his inheritance. The money was a solution to the problem, but Jesus understood money could not solve the problem that the man actually faced. That's why Jesus just stepped around this man's demand and told the parable of the rich fool. Let me stop there for a second. Look at the name of the parable. The parable of the rich fool. Now, Jesus did not introduce the parable with that title. He did not stand there and say, now I would like to recite the parable of the rich fool. He didn't do that. It was added later. But I want you to understand something. <laughs> This parable is not talking, is not about it being a sin to be rich or wealthy. It is not a sin to be rich. The title, the parable of the rich fool, implies that it is possible to be a rich, wise person, right? Jesus is not attacking wealth. Hear that. He's not attacking your wealth. I've known some very wealthy people who also were some of the finest Christians I have ever met. I've also known some very wealthy people who were spiritually broke. So this parable is not about being rich or poor. This parable is about how we handle our money. Let's be honest. We read this parable, and it is easy for us to think, what exactly did this rich man do wrong? Right? Look at it with me again. The rich man produced an abundant harvest. He had a good year. And that good year probably didn't happen by accident. 
Right? Some of you are in jobs where if you work a little harder or if you put in a few more hours, you can end up with a bit more money in your paycheck. Right? You sold a little more. You brought in a little bit more business. Whatever it is, you get to the end of your year and you look back and you can say, I had a good harvest. Right? And you got there through your hard work. This man found himself there. He had a good year. And so he did a pretty logical thing, right? He realized he didn't have enough space to store his great harvest, so he built new barns so he could store his surplus and then sit back and enjoy it. It's not that crazy. Let's just be honest. It's not, it's not crazy. I mean, even Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else so later you can live like no one else. I mean, isn't this what this man's doing? He, he put in the hard work, and his hard work paid off. Maybe while others were, were slacking off or not putting in long hours, this man was, and now he's being rewarded. So he's going to save his return on his investment so he can sit back and relax while everyone else has to keep working. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? We're going to work hard now so that when we turn 50 or 55 or 60, we can retire to some little beach community and sip margaritas and bury our toes in the sand for the rest of our lives. What this man did doesn't automatically seem wrong to us. He worked hard, and he's going to enjoy the fruits of his labor. The problem becomes apparent, though, when you step back and you take a closer look at the parable. If you still have your Bible open, look at Look at the pronouns in the story. Look at the pronouns. When you look at the pronouns, you realize it's all about him. My crops, my barns, my surplus, my, my, my. See, this man is living in a story that is all about him. Now we're getting somewhere, right? I wonder how many of us are living in stories that are all about us. If you don't know this by now, most people walk through life thinking they're the star of the movie. Right? That makes some sense. We can only see the world from our perspective. Right? I cannot physically see through your eyes. And even if I could, I wouldn't be able to see things as you see things because we have lived different lives. Our experiences color how we see things. And so we go through life thinking we are the star of the movie. Because of that, it's so easy for us to think it is all about us. It is very easy for us to think that the world revolves around us. This applies to all of us to some extent. And that's what's happening to this man. He was living in a story that was all about himself. And that is one of the most dangerous things ways for us to live. When it becomes all about us, people all around us suffer. When it becomes all about us, we suffer. This man's life was all about him, and that was the problem. The problem was not the size of the harvest. The problem was the man's heart. There is nothing wrong with thinking and planning, uh, uh, planning your future. There is nothing wrong with investing in the stock market. There is nothing wrong with putting money into a savings account. But we need to hear this, church, today. God does not bless us so that we can spend the excess on ourselves. I want you to look at something the, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9.11. 2 Corinthians 9.11. The Apostle Paul wrote, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts 
And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Now, my wife, Lee, will tell you that I love so that passages. All right? All the passages that say so that, I love them. I love how the Apostle Paul writes. And he, he, writes, he writes, you will be enriched in every way. Hear that. You will be enriched in every way. When we are faithful to the Lord, when we live according to his will, when we pursue holiness, we will be enriched in every way. It will happen. It will happen because our Heavenly Father loves blessing his children. We will be enriched in every way. But Paul didn't stop there. We will be enriched in every way so that, meaning the enriching happened for a purpose. Follow me here, church. The enriching was brought about by our faithfulness, and we are called to be faithful with the enriching. Hear that again. The enriching was brought about by our faithfulness, and we are called to be faithful with the enriching. Faithfulness must live on both sides of the blessing. We will be enriched in every way so that we can always be generous. I'll stop there for a moment. Where do we fit in there? I want you to make this personal for a second. For example, for me, it would be, Jared, you will be enriched in every way so that you, Jared, can always be generous. So make it personal for you. Tommy, you will be enriched in every way so that you, Tommy, can always be generous. Shell, you will be enriched in every way so that you, Shell, will always be generous. Michael, you will be enriched in every way so that you, Michael, can always be generous. Make it personal. But when you make it personal, that's when it gets uncomfortable. So that we can always be generous. Someone say always. always. So that we can always be generous. Now the question is, how do we define the word generous? I don't know if you know this, but money lies. Your money will lie to you all day long. Your money will tell you, be generous to yourself. Right? I'm your money. If you lose me, you will lose a very large part of your life. In fact, I am your life. I am what provides your life. So use me to get something nice for yourself. I am the source of your life. Church, money is a liar. Money will try to redefine the word generous so that your money will only benefit you. But that is not Jesus' definition of generous. Our generosity is supposed to be modeled on Jesus' generosity. He poured out his life for us, and we are to pour out our lives for others. You see, our generosity must match the generosity of our Heavenly Father. So think for a second what God has poured out for you. Think for a second what God has done for you. Jesus left heaven to enter into your mess and my mess. Jesus gave away all of himself. Jesus loved lavishly, as we talked about in week one. He was so generous, it cost him his life. Understand that. Jesus was so generous that it cost him his life. Our money will tell us that if we lose our money, we will lose our lives. 
Jesus tells us if we hold on to our life or hold on to, hold on to our money, we will lose our lives. Do you understand the difference? Our money tells us we will lose our lives if we don't hold on to our money. But Jesus says we will lose our lives if we hold on to our money. Look at something else the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. In Timothy 6, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So work backwards. The end is so they may experience true life. Now ask the question, how do we experience true life? Verse 19 says, by doing this. By doing what? Verse 18, by using your money for good. By being generous to those in need. By always being ready to share with others. That is how we live. We live by willing to give it all away. The whole gospel of Jesus Christ is we find life by dying. We find riches by giving away our money. Yes, church, this is countercultural, but it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are so busy trying to be rich with money, while the Bible tells us to be rich in good works. See, we're talking about the desires of our hearts. Some of you know that my father is a retired pastor, and he tells the story of a man coming to see him one day in his office. And the church my dad pastored had, had held their yearly pledge drive. And this man and, and his family had filled out a, a pledge card. Uh, and if you don't know what that means, that just means they promised to pay, to give the church this amount of money this year, right? And I don't know what the man had pledged. It's not important. But, but this man had made an appointment with my dad because he had something to tell my dad. And so he sat down and he proceeded to tell my dad that he and his family would not be able to fulfill their promise to the church. They weren't going to be able to make their pledge. Now, there may have been a lot of different reasons this could happen, right? Maybe the man had lost his job. Maybe the wife had been diagnosed with cancer and they needed the money for cancer treatments, right? Those things happen. But unfortunately for this man, my dad had some information that the man didn't know my dad had. And so after my dad, just, after this man laid it all out for my dad, he said, I'm so sorry, Pastor Warren, we just cannot make the pledge this year. My dad looked at him and asked him, so how are y'all enjoying that new boat? The man's face just sunk. He didn't know my dad knew about the new boat. See, this man had the gall to walk into my dad's office to cancel his pledge right after he had bought a brand new spanking I don't care that the man bought a boat. I would love to have a boat one day. The issue wasn't the boat. The issue was the man's heart. He was focused on the riches of this world and not the riches of the world to come. Folks, that is a heart issue. Does our heart want the world or does our heart want Jesus? It is one or it's the other. It cannot be both. I know we tell ourselves it can. We try to find every loophole we can, but it is one or the other. It is Jesus or it is the world. The true follower of Jesus says it's Jesus for the sake of the world. Hear me. 
I am not telling you to sell everything you own. Jesus might tell you to do that, but I'm not saying that today. I'm simply wondering, are you storing up things for yourselves? Or are you facing your heart toward God? Again, it can't be both, church. We can't say we are living for Jesus unless that includes our money. If Jesus is not above our finances, then we cannot, we, cannot be, we cannot claim to be sold out followers of Jesus. This requires a shift in our thinking. The rich fool failed to give God credit for his abundance. We must shift our thinking to realizing that everything we have comes from God. He has, he has made our, our field prosper. He has given us every dime in our bank account. Therefore, it's all his. So that leads us to the question. What does Jesus want me to do with my riches? Jesus, how do you want me to spend my money? Jesus, where do you want me to send my money? Jesus, how much do you want me to save? Jesus, how much do you want me to, to give away? How do I use the blessings you poured out on me to bless others? See, that's the ultimate question. How do I use the blessings you have poured out on me to bless others? How are you using the blessings God has poured out on you? That's not a rhetorical question. Where are you storing your treasures, here on earth or in heaven? How is it with your heart? You're going to put your money into what you love. What do you love? This world or the one to come? We are called to be rich in good works. I don't care if you make 50000 a year or 500000 a year. I only care that you're rich in good works. Are you? I don't know exactly what that looks like for each of you. But I do know that we all need to have a conversation with Jesus this week. I know Liam and I need to have a conversation with Jesus this week about our finances. And so that's what I want each of us to do this week. If you're single, then just get it alone with Jesus this week and spend some time in prayer, just you and him. If you're married, then I want you to get with your spouse and I want you to spend some time talking to Jesus together. And I want to give you three things to bring up in that conversation. It'll be on the screen. You can take a picture of it so you have it. The first is, I want you to give thanks for everything you have. I want you to list out all the things you have, like uh, job, car, house, food, clothing, health. I want you to talk to Jesus, and I want you to give him thanks for everything you have. And I want you to name them. That may take a while. But that's okay. I want you to name them. And then number two, ask the Holy Spirit to convict you if you've listened to the lies of money. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict you if you've listened to the lies of your money. You may not even be aware that you have. You may have thought, I've been really good with my money. So ask the Holy Spirit, is that true? Is it true? Am I, am I being a good steward of what you've given me? Or have I been selfish? And then three, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where and how you can be more generous with your riches. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where and how you can be more generous with your riches. And then I guess there's a number four, it's not on the screen, but number four would be stop talking and listen. Discover something about our prayer lives. We're very good at the talking part. We kind of struggle with the listening part. Prayer is a conversation. So you got to stop and listen. Okay, and then I guess there's a fifth point. The fifth point would be do it. <laughs> Whatever the Lord tells you to do. <coughs> Hear me, the Lord may tell you you need to reconfigure your entire finances. Do it. See, church, I want you to be rich. I want you to be rich. I believe Jesus Christ wants you to be, lit, be rich, but, but I'm not talking about rich like you may think. I'm not telling you that, that you can become rich by, by buying me a Cadillac, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. <coughs> Jesus wants you to be rich in him, rich in his love, rich in his grace, rich in his mercy, rich in his joy, rich in him. Matthew 16, 26 says, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Church, if you chase after the world, you will lose everything. But if you chase after Jesus, you will gain everything. You will become rich in the Lord. Amen. What are you chasing? What are you chasing? And so get alone with your spouse this week. Get alone with just you and Jesus this week. And pray about your finances. Pray about your riches. Pray about your blessings. And ask him to guide you in how you spend and use your money. And my prayer for you is that every dollar that comes to you will leave you and become a blessing to the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so very rich. You have poured out so much for us. And yet there's so much more you want to pour out for us. Lord, we're not talking about becoming rich in, 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 with money. Although I know you can do that, you have done that, you have blessed people abundantly with, with financial wealth. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming rich in you through how we use the money you've given us. Whether it's 20000 a year or $2 billion a year, are we faithful with it? Are we giving thanks for every penny we get? Or are we grumbling that it should be more, that it's not enough? Do we, do we push back on you when we feel like you're calling us to, to increase our tithe here in the church or, or to give more money to some nonprofit? Do we say, Lord, I'm already giving 10% to that? Lord, free us from our finances. Those of us who have a death grip on our finances, Lord, break that today. I truly believe that is one of the last things that people hold on to. 
They will give you pretty much anything else. With their finances, they hold on with a, with a, with a death grip. And what I've discovered is when they let go of that, they step into a new world. let go even more than we have already. We give you thanks. That we use our money how you want us to use our money so we bring you glory. That we would just be a conduit. That your blessings would just flow through us and multiply. So Lord, bless each person here today as they kneel this week alone or, or with their spouse as they crack open their checkbook or their bank account and just start talking about not only what you've given them, but how they're supposed to use it. Let us be open to being challenged this week, Lord. Let us be open to being convicted this week on how we have used our money. And then remind us to always give you thanks for all that we have. For this all in the name of Jesus.